Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Here we are at midweek. Another challenging week with weather in some places. Still raining. Farmers unable to get to fields. Some decisions being made on prevent plant weather making those decisions for several farmers. Other areas rolling. Had a little window here of several days where a lot of uh, field work getting done. Other places could actually maybe even use a little rain. So we have a mixed bag uh, across uh, the Midwest. And certainly we have a lot of areas that are dealing with serious flooding conditions. We'll be talking about that on today's program. And we'll be talking about the market reaction to all this, plus the trade news. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with INTL FC Stone, will be joining us a little bit later on. We'll also get a planning update from Ohio. Cy Prettyman will be joining us to give us an update. He farms just north of Columbus, Ohio. We'll get an update from him. Also a look at the ongoing challenges for rural hospitals. There is a proposal that could uh, help the situation, perhaps some, uh, increase some funding for rural hospitals. We'll be talking about that with Maggie Elawani with the National Rural Health Association a little bit later on in the program. But right now we're going to get a, a flood and planting update from western Illinois, Pike County, Illinois. Joining me now is Kim Curry, president of the Pike County Farm Bureau. Kim, thanks for joining us. Give us an update on the situation uh, in uh, Pike County along the Illinois River. Thank you very much, Mike. It's good to be here. And uh, this has certainly been a struggle in Pike and Scott County. Uh, Pike and Scott County Farm Bureau are merged now, so we are Pike Scott. And uh, the Illinois River is supposed to uh, crest on Thursday, but it's going to stay high for a number of days, maybe even a week. And that's that's been a real ongoing battle on the Illinois River. The Mississippi River did crest on Sunday and it uh, it was it's pretty high, and but it is going down fairly rapidly at this time. If the Illinois River makes the prediction, it will be an all-time high on the Illinois. Uh, planning planning is very slow here. Uh, I noticed the stats Illinois released was corn was 45% planted here in Illinois, and and I think maybe Pike County might be a little bit ahead of that. But there are still farmers planting corn. And, of course, today's the insurance date deadline on that, so there will be some decisions made after today on how to continue on that. So. Yeah, we've had a, a pretty good window here the last few days in this area. You're not too far from me, just uh, 20, 30 miles. Uh, but you have to watch uh, the rains up north and the and the water that's coming down, right? Well, for those people that are fighting, fighting the levees, yeah, they're – most concerned about that, what, what rainfall falls ab- above this area, and they can't afford very much more water. They're just right at the top of the levees and up on the sandbags and uh, the boards and the stakes that they're putting out in some places. Yeah, give us an update on that, Kim, if you would, because like many parts of rural America, when you're along rivers, and you, as you said, your area, Pike and Scott counties in, in Illinois, you're dealing with two rivers. Uh, you really count on those levees, and I know there's been a lot of work done, a lot of sandbagging's been going on. Kind of give us an update on the efforts that have been happening the last several days. Well, the, the property owners and the volunteers have been working for, for weeks on this uh, sandbagging uh, and 
shoring up the levees and patrolling the levees, making sure there's uh, any boils that pop up or are uh, taken care of immediately. Uh, just this past weekend, the National Guard was called in. We certainly appreciate the governor's effort uh, in sending the National Guard because uh, these these people are just thoroughly exhausted from working on these levees night and day for, for sometimes weeks at a time. And, uh, of course, they don't have any choice. Uh, they're, they're protecting their, their farmland and, and their residences, too. So uh, the ground is saturated right behind the levees. Uh, a little seep water is coming back in. It's, uh, some of that ground may not be planted this year. And then horse a little higher, a little more elevation, they'll, they'll be planted, but delayed planting. So. Yeah, I saw somebody talk about this the other day, that, uh, you know, usually the the lighter soils, the the hilly ground, maybe some of your, in, in a lot of years, maybe your less productive ground, maybe your most productive ground this year because farmers can get to that and plant it. Yes, for the most part we can. Uh, some of this rolling ground does have seeps coming right out of the side of the hillside, mm-hmm. so it's it's not it's not easy, uh, and you have to go around the spots, and sometimes you get stuck. Uh, I think we've been stuck two or three times this week already. Uh, we were able to start back in the field on Monday and resume soybean planting. Uh, we are finished with our corn planting on our farm, but uh, we have quite a few soybeans to go, and and it's been it's been tedious getting across the ground. The, the ground is drying off on top it's still wet underneath we're talking with the president of the pike county illinois farm bureau pike county in western illinois uh, kim curry kim uh, you mentioned this this is an important date uh, this is a decision day for a lot of farmers on prevent plant yes it is uh they have to decide whether to prevent plant or uh or switch crops or whatever of course if they already have their fertilizer on and some chemicals down, uh, that decision's a little bit more difficult. So planting may continue for a few days on the corn. Uh, uh, and obviously the soybeans will continue for a, a longer period of time. I personally do not know of anyone that is finished with their corn, with their with their crops altogether. A few people are finished with corn and, and heavily in the soybeans. Some people are still, still planting corn. Yeah, as these... Uh prevent plant dates uh, come and go, uh, a lot of important decisions to be made. And as you said, a lot of factors go into it, uh, such as what inputs you already have out there on on those fields, right? Uh, that's a big part of it. Yes, uh, what you already have invested in that corn crop uh, has to be considered. Uh, as I understand it, if you plant after the pre- prevent plant, your uh, level of crop insurance goes down, but you can still do some. I don't. I don't know all the rules on crop insurance, but uh, there will still be some corn planted today and and even after for a little while. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, the battle continues to hold back the rivers, right? That is an ongoing battle. It's a round-the-clock battle. These guys are taking shifts and watching a levee at night and uh, calling in help when when they find a problem that needs needs it. And there have been a few breaks above us and below us, uh, that doesn't seem to give much relief to the crest. It, it uh, drops just slightly and then comes right back up to the, to the level it was. And uh, 
on the Illinois River, we're going to set some all-time highs on 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 river on the crest uh, if it holds true to their predictions. So. All right, Kim. Well, we wish you all the best over there in, in those battles, and uh, thank you for the update. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Kim Curry, mm-hmm. president of the Pike County Farm Bureau in Illinois Pike and Scott Counties in West Illinois, a uh, combined uh, Farm Bureau, and uh, a lot of uh, work being done to try to hold back both the Illinois and Mississippi rivers. All right, coming up next, a proposal to help rural hospitals. We'll get the latest on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Again, I want to thank Kim Curry, president of the Pike Scott County Farm Bureaus in uh, Western Illinois, for an update on the flooding situation there and the efforts ongoing. And we're seeing this all over. Um, you know, we've seen it many times in the past, and we're really seeing it this year. A lot of challenges, a lot of volunteers putting in countless hours to to fill sandbags and to and to place those sandbags uh, in the areas, trying to hold back uh, the the floodwaters, trying to you know reinforce those levees, keep a close watch on them, and just uh, it's round-the-clock vigils that uh, they are are performing, and uh, this is happening in many, many areas, and uh, our thoughts go out to them as uh, they continue that work. And in some places, we've seen these levees breached and uh, uh, the devastation of the flooding that's going on, a lot of challenges, not only for this year, but will be long-term effects. So uh, um, it's it's just unbelievable to see the pictures that are coming in and uh, the the floodwaters and you know fields that are usually we're looking at you know growing crops out there now look like lakes we've seen these over and over and uh, these challenges are many meanwhile in some places planning goes on as we heard kim curry say in in uh, pike and scott counties in western illinois and in some areas they're working on the, trying to hold back the floodwaters while in other parts of the the county not too far away tractors are rolling they're trying to get as much planted as they can kind of the story of uh, uh, the spring of 2019. well another story that we continue to watch and have, with great concern and that's what's happening to many of our rural hospitals real challenges there uh, we've seen several close many um, may be closing in the near future but there is a proposal that perhaps could help uh, with rural hospitals and to bring us up to date on that is Maggie Elawani. She's uh, the vice president of government affairs and policy for the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, good to talk with you again. Uh, tell us about this proposal that's out there that could uh, maybe help rural hospitals. Thank you so much, Mike. It's, I'm happy to be here. Rural America, as you were describing this morning, is going through so much. And right now, um, they're also suffering an access to health crisis with the increasing number of rural hospitals that are cro- closing across the country. We've had several more close since just our last discussion. We're up to 106 rural hospital closures. Um, we anticipate another one later this week. Um, we think that there's actually 46% of rural hospitals are actually operating at a financial loss. So we welcome any of these ideas to try to um, uh, improve the situation and help the rural community needs when they're struggling to keep um, to grow their crops um, and to keep food on the table is to lose access to their emergency room and their local rural health providers. What we have been doing is working both with Capitol Hill and the administration on looking for solutions. Um, one of uh, a recent proposal from the administration, we actually met with Secretary Azar, HHS Secretary Azar, a couple of days ago to talk about this proposal, and that is to help create greater fairness, greater parity for rural health care providers that treat Medicare patients. A system of Medicare reimbursements 
is crazy complicated, but there's this built-in um, formula um, to give people who provide care in expensive, like urban areas, more. But they have been woefully underpaying providers who work in rural America, and this proposal would help change that. All right. It, what's the support for it? What's the opposition to it? So there's a lot of noise going on about this, and there's going to be a lot of, of opposition to this, in large part because it's um, not putting any new money in the system. It's kind of reallocating what the federal government spends on these Medicare payments now. So they're actually taking from areas that they may have been overpaying or, or cutting their reduction or, or cutting their amount a little bit to increase the amount in, in rural America. Um, we think that is actually creating greater parity because really what's been happening, Mike, is you get these low Medicare reimbursement rates. You know how difficult it is often. We've talked about this to, to recruit physicians and rural health care providers to certain rural communities. And so this was supposed to help them increase their ability to hire more people. But because their payments were so low, they could never continue hiring more people, and it just kind of perpetuated a vicious cycle. We do expect strong backlash from a lot of urban facilities who are going to be losing money. Um, we think overall uh, it doesn't help all rural hospitals, so there's two different types of rural hospitals. There's some that are critical access hospitals. They get a certain kind of Medicare reimbursement. Then there's these rural PPS hospitals. That's who these would help. And on average, for the uh, 400, uh, about 50 rural hospitals that help, it'll increase their reimbursement rates on average by about 3.5%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're, you know, losing money hand over fist and most of your patients are Medicare patients, that could be a significant help. Now, it's not going to solve all our problems, certainly, but it certainly is a positive step in the right direction. So what's the timeline for this? So this is a proposal that the federal government is doing, and it's out and issuing in what's called a regulation. There's a comment period for the general public um, that's going on right now, and we're trying to encourage folks to join us. Um, and we've got information on our website saying how important this is to help rural hospitals. Now, I want to be... Um, straight up that this is this is a strong uh, step in the right direction and something that should have changed a long time ago, but it's not going to be the linchpin that really saves all these rural hospitals. It's a positive step in the right direction, but we really need to do more. We really need Congress to step in as well and do some things. Talking with Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing... Uh, uh, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well? We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and, and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need um, to keep their doors open. Others, and this is really frustrating, have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about 
why these hospitals are closing, and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there have been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals. I'm assuming that once a rural hospital closes, the percentage of them that would ever reopen would be very low. It's incredibly low. You're exactly right. Um, you know, some kind of re try to keep um, maybe an, an urgent care facility open, and some try to do limited outpatient work, but even those struggle very significantly because once they don't have that hospital status the way they have in the past, they're no longer eligible for some of the federal payments through Medicare and Medicaid. And even though those payments are woefully low, without them, you know, there's, there's probably little hope that they'll be able to keep their, their doors open. Um, we are encouraged somewhat. I talked a little bit about this proposal from the administration, and we are encouraged that, that Congress, thanks to, to your voice um, getting word out there, is that we really think that Congress is finally understanding the gravity of this problem and what happens to a community when that, that closes. You're right, they rarely reopen, and what happens on top of that is almost always in rural in communities, the other health care providers are affiliated or based at that hospital. So if the hospital closes, the doctors likely leave, the nurses leave, the pharmacists leave. We're seeing these, you know, just complete healthcare deserts forming in these rural communities. Um, and that's something that that is another economic nail in a rural community. How, um, how are we going to bring manufacturing or more agriculture jobs to rural America if there's not access to health care, not access to emergency room? What families with kids are going to be able to stay in the community? What retirees are going to stay in the community? We really think health care is a critical part of infrastructure in rural America, and that's really the point we're trying to make both on Capitol Hill and with the administration. We still think we're gaining ground. All right, Maggie, thank you for the update. Wish we had more positive news. Maybe this proposal will be one of the steps uh, in the right direction to help. We hope so. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Maggie Elawani, Vice President, Government Affairs and Policy for the National Rural Health Association. All right, coming up next, a look at market reaction to the uh, delayed planting and to the trade news. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's talk with one Illinois farmer between the Quad Cities and Peoria. David Erickson joins us. David, thanks for being with us. How much do you have done? Um, I'm about uh, 95% plus on corn, so I feel fortunate there, and, and most of that corn is up, but no soybeans planted. For the most part, Mike, we've not gotten big rains, although last night, depending on where you're at here in Knox County in Illinois, we're... Uh, you know, somewhere between, uh, I'd say, 1.6 and 2.5 inches. Our forecast is for a little bit drier weather. And in today's lingo, that means uh, scattered showers of, uh, you know, somewhere between two tenths and half an inch. So we're as wet now as we've been at any time this spring. And uh, we're probably looking at a week's worth of drying. 
uh, to get back into the field side with Jeff. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn, soybeans, and wheat all defensive in the overnight trade. The White House will host talks Wednesday afternoon with a high-level delegation of officials from Mexico who are making a last-ditch effort to avoid tariffs. Vice President Mike Pence, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer will meet Mexico's delegation. President Trump threatened last week to impose escalating tariffs on all imports from Mexico unless the nation does more to stop the flow of migrants from Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras that travel through Mexico to reach the U.S. border. He reiterated on Tuesday he was prepared to put the tariffs in effect. An hour into this Wednesday trade for the grains, July soybeans down two and a quarter at 879 and a half, November at 907, down two and a quarter. July corn down a nickel at 420 and a half. December at 439. That's down a nickel. Chicago wheat July down four and a half at 502 and three quarters. Kansas City July down eight and three quarters at 459 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat flat. The new crop September unchanged, 570 a bushel. Livestock at the Merkin Live Cattle June up 20 cents at 107.75. August up seven cents at 104.12. Feeder cattle, August contract up 37 at 137.82. Cash cattle bids on this Wednesday in Nebraska, 183 dressed, asking 186 or higher. Lean hog futures, July, down 40 cents at 85.40. Outside markets for the major financial indicators, the Dow up 170, S&P up 7. July crude oil in New York, down 69 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, lots of decisions, lots of uh, things to look at, and how is the market reacting to all that's going on with both the, the planting situation and the trade situation? Arlen Suderman joins us, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're watching these uh, prevent plant dates uh, kind of roll through here and big decisions, in some cases, uh, 
Mother Nature's making those decisions. Uh, in other places, it's a it can be a tough call. The farmers have to look at a lot of different things. What the, what have they got invested already as far as inputs uh, on some of that land? The rising uh, corn prices, maybe keeping them planting. Uh, just all kinds of factors here. You know, it's real easy for us, as, as I realize, it's real easy for us to talk about this from an academic standpoint and easy to forget that these farmers out there are really struggling, um, stopping at the end of the field, knocking the mud out, trying to unplug what the mud has done, and, and going another round and having to do that again, and they're just getting tired. They're getting tired of fighting it, and um, this is the job that they have to do to get their annual paycheck, and so the tensions are high, the emotions are high, and there's a very human aspect to this that gets lost in the discussion of the markets and um, they see the prices whip around and and they go up and they think well at least I'm going to get rewarded for what I do produce and then they go down and think what's happened is do the funds not understand what's really happening out here in the country this is an unprecedented situation and, and I guess my response is no the funds do not grasp the fact that we have never encountered a situation like this that we're seeing here in the United States this year and probably won't for some time, but it will eventually happen and the funds will eventually recognize it. And um, But it, it'll probably take several months for that to happen. We talked earlier in the program today with the president of the Pike and Scott County Farm Bureaus in, in western Illinois. And while they're battling floodwaters in Illinois and Mississippi rivers, um, he said they're also still planting corn. Today is their prevent plant date. Uh, you know, corn is still being planted. We're In this part of the Illinois, we're in a pretty good window for this year, four or five days, uh, pretty much a, a, a field work. Um, when we look at this situation of how much land is not planted at this point, I mean, what's our what's the markets looking at? What is planted, or, or are they focused yet on what's not planted and probably will not get planted this year? I think the market is still focused on the fact that the farmer is so good at getting it done, it, it's surely going to get done. And I don't think they recognize the possibilities of it not getting done. And then the next question is, what is it going to yield? Um, yeah. that, that's kind of the feedback I get. And uh, as I talk to our people in our offices around the Midwest, and, and I say, okay, just throw, it, throw a dart at it right now. Uh, there's so many variables, but if we assume good weather from here on out, the corn that is planted, what will it yield? What's, what's your best-case scenario for what it yield? And, and their estimates are generally 10 to 15% below trend. The market hasn't even considered that yet, and that's kind of a best-case scenario. So we're looking at the possibility here. On this is not a forecast, but we're looking at the possibility that the de- decline in production in the United States this year could exceed that of the entire safrina corn crop in Brazil. Perhaps that helps put a little bit of a parameter on just how significant of a potential problem we're looking at. Yeah, I, I think we haven't really focused on, you know, we focus so much on just getting acres planted, and that's obviously step one, but then the focus is going to be shifting more to what are those acres that are planted, what will they yield? We know we have tremendous weed pressure out there. We have uh, crops, that you know, uh, plants uh, sitting in uh, water and things like that, and cooler weather still in a lot of places now who knows what the rest of the growing season is going to look like maybe we're going to have a longer growing season than we expect so a lot of things can change but right now there's certainly a lot of challenges a lot of questions about the the yield of what does get planted 
It certainly is. And when you look at what's been planted, talking to one of our people in Illinois yesterday who has his own farm as well, typically his corn would be hip high by now. Mm -hmm. And it's four inches tall. And when I asked him about plant population, he talked about uh, the uneven population, the thin population, and you've got to have a plant to have an ear on it, and you've got to have an ear to have corn on it. And uh, so that, those are the real concerns, what the population is going to be. Farmers complained about USDA's August uh, crop report estimates based on objective data from the field because they're saying the crop wasn't mature enough. And there's some validity to that. But one of the things that we did get out of that was good population data. And we're not going to have that this year because USDA decided to wait till September to do their objective data in the field. So that's going to leave a lot of unknowns for a lot longer this year than what we would normally have seen in previous years. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. So uh, I realize for farmers that aren't going to plant, uh, the price is going to help them much this year. But for those that are planting and uh, hoping that the higher price is going to make up for some of this uh, loss of yield and maybe loss of acres, uh, they're asking, how high could this go? What, what's your scenario here? What's your forecast? Well, uh, you know, I'll address that question, but I'm always reluctant to do so because if you say how high might it go, that's what they hear. That's how high it is right. going to go, and that's an unknown. So I just want to encourage the farmers out there to, to be cautious and prudent and, and take a business approach to it. Um, but right now we're looking at the possibility uh, that we could see, and, and I know there have been some estimates out there that uh, are now more possible than what they looked like just a few days ago, that we could lose 10 million acres and that we could see yields 10, 10% below trend. And if that happens, then we're looking at a 12 billion bushel crop, and that means that we need to ration uh, a considerable amount of demand in order to balance the balance sheet. And to do that in order to balance supply and demand would based on historical price relationships with that level of stocks, we would have to see prices over $6 at the farm gate. So that's a price that I haven't stated, I don't think, before in a, in a radio interview. Um, but as I talk to our offices about, okay, what's the minimum amount of pre prevent plant you think you'll see in your state? And what do you think, if everything went well, what those yields would be? Um, that scenario I have to recognize is becoming more and more possible now going forward is that we have that type of scenario where we have to do that kind of rationing. It's going to happen right away, but long term, eventually, that's what the market would have to do. And then on the other side, on soybeans, uh, you know, maybe more soybean. When you can plant, maybe more up now soybeans, and we add to uh, an already uh, – uh, tough situation there as far as supply. Uh, do you see anything positive happening on soybean prices? Well, soybeans can follow corn, and uh, we've been talking for, for months, and you and I have talked about the fact that we have such a huge surplus of soybeans and demand destruction has taken place in, in China rather than growth in, in demand, and so USDA is overstating the demand picture, and we have these big surpluses, and we could be looking at over a billion bushel carryover this year. Uh, and so, and, and we could increase acres this year because of corn that doesn't have fertilizer on it yet going to beans, or we could see a big drop depending on how the weather plays out. 
so the possible scenarios are wide. But the main thing with soybeans and corn is we're going to have to buy more corn acres to rebuild the levels of supply next year at the expense of soybeans. So soybean prices can follow corn up, but at a slower pace, so to speak. Um, and uh, so it doesn't mean that they have to go down, but it is still difficult at this point in time to develop a bullish scenario for soybeans because of the huge surplus we have and the soft demand in China. Yeah, the story we haven't really talked about yet because we're trying to get through this year is what impact this year has on next year, and that'll be a story we'll talk about uh, uh, later. Uh, what about the headline I saw about uh, corn from Brazil coming into the U.S.? Yeah, that's part of the ration process. We've been monitoring that and expecting it. We finally got some confirmation coming out yesterday. Um, we've been watching for some time. Prices out of Argentina and Brazil have been cheap enough to pay the freight to come up into Wilmington. And uh, now it looks like we're starting to get confirmation of 5 to 10 cargoes, maybe more booked. And, and that's part of what happens when the uh, supplies are tight and the prices start to ration. We have to ration exports. We increase imports to try to bring everything into balance. And, and we've seen in the past where we've imported 120, 160 million uh, bushels. And uh, that's a real possibility here. And it just, it's just a reflection. We haven't even talked much about trade. The uncertainty there continues to grow. The China situation doesn't look very good, and now we have uh, the prospects of new uh, tariffs on Mexico. Yeah, and I'm not too worried about losing the corn and soybean business with Mexico now, although we're watching that. Um, when it comes to China, I think it's interesting to note now that the first tariffs that China put on last July and, and again in September, that it's now starting to accept waiver requests uh, for for soybeans, for pork, for beef, for some of those products it really needs. So it's trying to ease the pressure back home, um, perhaps trying to soften some of the criticism back home. So I think that's real evidence of some of the problems being faced there in China as well. But unfortunately, both sides seem to be locking in for a long battle there. All right, Arlen, thank you. Uh, wow, it's just every time we talk, uh, you know, it's, we're, we kind of were waiting for something good to happen to break, and uh, we keep, we, we're still waiting. So we'll see what happens here, and we'll stay in touch with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, he's Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this corn situation plays out, as he described. All right, what about uh, Ohio? Are they getting some planting done? Cy Prettyman Farms north of Columbus, Ohio. Last time we talked with him, uh, very little had gotten done. We'll see what progress they've made. Coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... So we just talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Obviously, they are ecstatic that the uh, metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico have been lifted. We can talk about that as well with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, this was looked at as a a must-have to get USMCA moving forward, and I know you at NCBA are happy to have uh, those tariffs lifted. We're extremely happy to see these tariffs lifted. 
Now, we're in a little bit different shape from our friends in the pork industry because they were really getting hammered with the tariffs. But we were also, though, however, really pushing to try to get these tariffs taken down because we knew if we wanted to have a chance of getting a vote on USMCA, the tariffs were going to have to be a part of this deal. So the fact that this is done uh, earlier is, I think, going to be overall very beneficial to uh, the process of getting a vote and finally passing USMCA and putting this chapter behind us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we continue to take a look at how planting is going or not going in many cases. Uh, around uh, the country here in the spring of 2019. Let's go to the state of Ohio. When last we talked with Cy Prettyman, who farms north of Columbus, uh, not much had been done. Cy, I hope that uh, you've got uh, uh, more to report this time, that you've been able to get out there and get some planning done. Have you? Uh, oh, geez. Uh, got the, around the 23rd of May, I planted my first corn. And uh, then we got just a couple days to run. Um, I've got about 40% of my corn in. I've got no beans in, and we've been sitting still again since probably uh, for several, for uh, probably 10 days again now. So thought we were going to run. I started on Saturday. Then we got a break and uh, was able to get some ground work and thought I was going to get a nice run in early part of this week. And then we got about eight-tenths of an inch of rain on, on uh, Saturday night, uh, which was a lot less than northern part of Ohio where they got three to four inches. So it's it's been slow here in the north, uh, central, and northwestern part of the state. So you're going to keep trying to plant corn. I've got uh, I got a couple farms yet that uh, I started last night in on one that got a little less rain to the south, uh, southern part of our county got less rain. So I was trying to get some ground fit. We got a little rain this morning, so I'm hoping it'll dry back off this afternoon and get going. And, and uh, I'm hoping to plant some corn here before the weekend yet, but. Uh, we get much past the weekend, and uh, I might be uh, waving the white flag on corn planting. Everybody looking at these prevent plant dates, what is yours, and uh, what what are you hearing of farmers around you about those decisions? Yeah, everybody's struggling with those decisions right now, what to do. Uh, June 5th is our last plant date, so today is the day um, as far as uh, full insurance coverage. So there's guys, a lot of the guys I'm talking to are thinking, you know, we'll plant here for a few more days if we can get get the right weather. Um, everybody's feeling like, eh, there could be some pretty nice bases come come this fall and winter uh, in our area because not a lot has been planted. And so guys want to get as much corn in the ground as they can, uh, but time's running short now. Hmm. Will acres be switched to soybeans, you think, that we're going to be corn? There would be some acres switched, and then, and then there's other guys that are just saying they're going to take the prevented plant uh, on some of the corn acres and, and not switch them over to beans. But I, I think there will be some, depending on their situation, uh, you know, what they've got in land costs, things like that, fixed costs that they may need to cover. So um, everybody will probably be making different decisions on that, and we'll probably do the same on our farm. I, at this point, I don't see that I'm going to get all the acres of corn planted that I wanted to. Some of those acres I'll probably switch to beans. Some of them I may just take prevented planting on. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing we know, there's a bumper crop of weeds 
in many places. What are you seeing? And the ch- talk about the challenges of weed control this year. Oh, it's been terrible. We uh, did was able to get some spraying done um, yesterday. Uh, like I said, in the southern part of the county where it was a little drier. Um, but yeah, I was knocking down weeds last night there, trying to get some ground fit. It's it's just ugly when you drive around. It's depressing because it's just everybody's fields are usually planted and and looking great right now. I mean, some of them are sprayed, some of them aren't. I mean, there's it's it's definitely a mess out there as far as, as far as getting these weeds back under control. But just even even getting spraying done's been tough uh, for guys to get out and, and get the burn down. Um, yeah, it is. It has been a challenge, and and uh, that's going to have a, a, a long term impact as well, right? I mean, those weed battles don't get easier once you get behind; they get harder. Yeah, yeah, it's going to continue, and uh, you know, get get knocked down, get this first round down. Uh, we'll see what happens from there. But you know, anytime you've got weeds out there, and, uh, and especially if they go to seed or anything, we're we're just adding to the seed bank and making it work worse for the future. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Cy Prettyman. He farms north of Columbus, Ohio. So what is in the ground and what's up? How does it look, Cy? A lot of, uh, depending on timing, uh, when rains came through and such, uh, the corn that we got planted there, the first three fields that we got in, that right there around the 23rd, 4th, 5th of May, that looks pretty good. It's up. It's got a few holes just from some water laying on it because of the heavy rains. We got like an inch and a half there Memorial Day weekend right after we planted some of that. So uh, we're missing a few spots there. I snuck some in on Memorial Day. That that doesn't look great right now because we got hammered uh, then on that night with about an inch of rain. So it's looking a little tough right now. Um, and some others that are right in that same time frame that haven't emerged yet um, or starting to emerge, and that doesn't look as good. But a lot of the crops that got in, kind of there it is uh, towards the end of may uh that stuff's looking pretty decent the other question that's often asked this spring for many unfortunately is how many times have you been stuck i have not been stuck and i don't really uh i hope i don't i don't get stuck but uh yeah there's definitely some spots out there that is that are spots that i've never seen wet before uh that are have got water laying or just like wow that is really soft in there and it's just unusually unusually wet um, things that you don't normally see in a spring so we, we've been, i've been fortunate that way and uh, hopefully hope to keep it that way the only thing i've had, only thing i've seen stuck mostly around is lawnmowers this year see more lawnmowers and yards stuck this hmm. spring than anything else that, that <laughs> so tells you how wet everywhere. it is right yeah yeah um yes so your forecast doesn't sound overly encouraging uh, maybe a break here or there but that pattern, especially north of you, has been ex- is stays extremely wet. Yeah, those there's guys up there that haven't still haven't got a seed in the ground, and then there's guys in our area that haven't started yet either. Uh, I was fortunate to get, get to run a couple days, uh, and then there's other guys depending on their drainage and stuff in our area that have been able to get going and got a little bit more in. But you go north, uh, not too far up in the Bowling Green and on north uh, into that northwest corner, and those guys have continued to get heavy rains and. Uh, like I said, three to four inches there on Saturday night. That's really hampering any progress in that area. Well, Cy, thanks for the update. Hope you can get some more maybe done this afternoon. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. All right, Mike. Have a great day. Okay, we'll stay in touch. Cy Prettyman, he farms uh, north of Columbus, Ohio, and the challenges continue. All right, uh, we'll keep an eye on the on these uh, conditions and uh, the decisions that farmers are facing in uh, different parts of the country. 
and uh, also want to get a look at this uh, disaster aid package what help is in that as well so lots of things to keep an eye on and we'll do it right here on aoa adams on agriculture thanks for joining us